Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for the food that we had, the fellowship that we have as a church. We're thankful for the opportunity to come together tonight and to study your word. I pray uh, that it wouldn't just be an activity of, of going through the motion, but we would grow tonight. We'd be built up tonight. I pray that it would bear impact as, as we walk with you and as we serve you in the context of our church. Again, we're thankful tonight. We, we praise you for the opportunity. I pray again for our kids every week uh, in a world that would pull them into all sorts of nonsense and all sorts of traps and snares being set for them. I pray for a foundation of truth being set in our kids' classes tonight and our youth classes tonight, and then all of us as adults tonight as well. Again, we just praise you, we worship you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue on our Bible study. This is the 75th lesson. We started in Genesis. We're working our way to the book of Revelation. Uh, our our study is called The Grand Scheme of Things, and maybe you've noticed as we move, the point of it is seeing uh, the point of all Scripture is the telling of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who he is, why he came, why we needed him, and who we have in our Savior, Jesus. And so the point of all Scripture, again, revealed to us uh, from, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Tonight, we're continuing in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, tonight, we're in a set of verses. Our key verses are found in Matthew chapter 9, uh, 18 through 26. This account is also found in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is the account we decided to look at. So our key verses are found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. I'm going to go ahead and read all of those together, and then we'll, we'll work through them in, in here in just a second. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26, God's word says this. While he was standing, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Verse 26, This news spread throughout all the land. So that's our section of verses tonight. Again, we're going to work through that. Uh, piece by piece. Our key point tonight, if you have your worksheet, our key point is as Jesus' ministry moves forward, that's what we're doing, we're just moving through his earthly ministry, accounts of his miraculous acts become increasingly frequent. And so we, we heard of some, now we're hearing of more, and the, the hearing of his miraculous act, acts is going to become more and more frequent in Scripture. Uh, these miracles were key in validating Jesus' claims to being the Messiah and in revealing certain truths about our gospel. I think that's an interesting thing. Uh, his, his miracles are going to for sure confirm who he is to validate what he's saying, uh, but they're also going to reveal certain things to us about his gospel. I think that's a very interesting thing. Uh, we're going to see that played out tonight. Uh, as we start tonight in our verses, Jesus 
continues his ministry in Galilee. He has traveled up to that region. His ministry really is going to be based there and rooted out of there for a little bit. In this account, he finds himself at the town or the city of Capernaum. This is a city on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's, he's traveled up to Galilee. He is there on the Sea of Galilee at the city of Capernaum. At this point in his ministry, word about his teaching and his accompanying miracles is really spreading throughout the land. And so uh, people are talking, uh, people as they travel are talking, people in the towns are talking, and the word is out about Jesus. Uh, as you would expect, and that's kind of uh, an interesting thing, as the word is getting out about Jesus, uh, some people are hearing it and are curious. Uh, what is this we're hearing? We hear all this talk. Uh, some of them are hearing it and they're resistant to it. That sounds crazy. That's not going to be true. And they're opposed to it. And then some of them were actually taking Jesus at his word and they were responding in faith. And so not everybody was opposed to it. Not everybody was shut off to it. Many were, uh, but some are actually hearing and seeing and believing. The two people we find tonight in our story uh, are some of those folks. So that's the the context. Uh, the, the next part on our worksheet is called Blessed Assurance. Uh, I want you to think about something right here as we, as we move into the verses. Um, imagine being a Jewish person and all of your life you've been hearing about the Messiah. Uh, you were trained in verses about the Messiah as a young person. Uh, you sing songs about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, you talk about the Messiah. It's, it's a prevalent thing uh, it, it really moves across your life. We're looking for the Messiah. Our hope is in the Messiah. Um, as a nation, you're looking for the Messiah. Your hope as a nation is going to be in this Messiah. And so uh, that is what you've been conditioned to, to look for. That is where your hope is placed. Uh, and that's been your whole life. So imagine that's your life. And then one day somebody shows up and says they are that Messiah. So your songs have been about it, your parents have talked about it, the scripture's been about it, your, your nation is all about it, but then one day somebody actually shows up and they say they, they're the Messiah. Now, when they start to tell you that, they start to reference Old Testament scriptures that actually collaborate the story. And so they will say, born in Bethlehem, came out of Egypt, uh, born of a virgin, all these things, they start to tell uh, he starts to tell the Old Testament scriptures that collaborate the story. Here's the question. Do you think you could actually believe that? Do you think you would actually believe that? They're actually the one hundreds of years we've been talking about this Messiah and all of a sudden this guy, he's a carpenter's son. We know that. We know his dad. We know his family. He's from Nazareth. We know that. That guy says he is the one. Um, it's interesting, for, for hundreds of years, there have been people that have said they were the Messiah. Uh, the, the scripture tells us that. And so, we, in fact, about the time Jesus was born, there was a guy that shows up and says he's the Messiah. And a bunch of people get in and follow him, and, and they all end up getting killed. So just because somebody says they're the Messiah, they've heard that before. That's not a new thing. So you, do you think you would believe that? If you did believe that, why would you trust the claims of this guy, Jesus, 
that he is the Messiah. Again, you know where he's from. You know his dad. You know what he does. Why would you actually believe that what he says is worth staking uh, really everything on? What would make you believe that? All right, so I, I, I think about that. I think, well, that's kind of still hard for us to understand. Um, let me put it to you this way. We believe Jesus is coming again. Uh, on Sunday mornings, when I say Jesus is coming again, people always say amen. We believe Jesus is coming again. We believe the testimony of Scripture is Jesus is coming again. I can remember my granny saying, I don't know how it can be much longer. Jesus is coming again. We'd all say, yeah, granny, he's coming again. Our songs, think about our songs. Uh, all these songs we sing about Jesus coming again. Our verses point to it. Our church talks about it. People talk about it. Our songs, we sing about it. Jesus is coming again. We believe that. Now listen, what if I said, and I, right now, on this Wednesday evening, am telling you it's going to be Friday. Do you, do you still go amen or do you go, ah, he's crazy. He's always been crazy. Um, do you say, how do you know that? How, what are you basing that on? Would you say, well, he said it's on Friday. I'm going to go, I'm not going to pay my credit cards, not going to do this, going to go buy me a new Corvette, going to do some things I've always wanted to do. I've got two gay people i got to go pay back on Thursday. There's some things they've said about me. I'm going to go settle the score with them. Would you start moving a checklist that this is over Friday, or would you go, I'm pretty skeptical. I'll, I'll wait and see on Saturday whether that came true or not. It's no different. Um, they had been looking, they had been looking, they had been looking, and a guy shows up and says, I'm the one. Well, what is it that would make them believe? Well, listen to this. As part of God's gracious plan to confirm the claims of Jesus, he starts performing miracles. And so understand, the reason he performs miracles is not for the purpose of healing all these people. Now, they do get healed. It's not for the purpose of causing blind people to see. They do see, but the reason he is doing the miracles is to validate the claims that he is the Messiah. That is the reason he does the miracles. Well, if we need to believe that, how awesome it is that God enables and does and performs these tremendous miracles. They serve the purpose of lending credibility to the words of Jesus. As they hear what Jesus says, as they look at the scriptures, and as they see the miracles, all three of those things, they are able to say, I believe this is the Messiah. I believe it so strongly that I'm going to actually adapt my priorities and my plans to match that. So listen, this is God's gracious plan um, to confirm who Jesus is. Jesus is saying it. The scriptures are saying it. And now these miracles are confirming it and validating it. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to know. So that's the first thing. Why do we have these miracles recorded? Because he wanted them to know. All right, the next section on your worksheet is the bigger picture. The bigger picture. Now, that's a very specific thing, the bigger picture. As Jesus performed these miracles, not only was his message confirmed, but also a great truth about the gospel is also made known. And so remember when I said we're going to learn some things about Christ, that it validates who he is, we're also going to learn some things about the gospel. Uh, one of the things that's confirmed is the truth that God wants people to believe in Jesus. 
Listen to that. There are some folks teaching right now that God doesn't want everybody to believe in Jesus. God wants everybody to believe in Jesus, and by believing in Jesus, he wants them to be saved. Let me put that in one sentence. God wants all people to be saved. Bible says he's patient and kind, desiring that none should perish, but all would come to the knowledge of truth that would result in their salvation. So we see here, God actually wants people to believe in Jesus and in believing in Jesus be saved. So he goes to great lengths, making sure that we can have confidence in the gospel. That's what this is about. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to record it for us to read it. He goes to great lengths that people can have confidence in the gospel, believe in Jesus, and believing in Jesus, be saved. I want you to think about this. These miracles. Here we go. We come to two tonight. We're going to read about a lot more of them. The religious leaders could see them. You know, it says back in Jerusalem, they're throwing a fit. They don't want to, they don't want to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But what are you going to do when a person walks up that couldn't walk? What are you going to do when the blind people are seeing? So the religious leaders could see them. The skeptics could see them, and they could hear about them. You know what? I don't believe this guy. I don't think this is true. And they say, well, you don't know my first cousin. He was down there, and he couldn't walk, and now he walks. And so the skeptics can hear about it. And then here's a, a, an, even, an even better point. And the faithful could point to them. And so those folks that had come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, they could say, well, you tell me how that happened. Well, you tell me how that happened. Well, you look at the scripture and how it matches up, but then you also look at that miracle and how it confirms it. And so he gives them something to point to. God was making the truth known, and he was doing it in a radical fashion, an extravagant fashion, and we can tonight do this. We can be sure that God wants people to believe in Jesus. As we sit here tonight in our Bible study, God wants people to believe in Jesus, and by believing in Jesus, be saved. We can be sure of that. All right, so that's the groundwork. Now we're going to move into the verses. Starting in verse 18. While he, Jesus, was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Let me read verse 18 again. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. The synagogue official, uh, we know from the accounts in Luke and in Mark, was a guy named Jairus. Um, he had the job as a synagogue official of assisting the management of the worship at the local Jewish synagogue. And so they have the local Jewish synagogue there in Capernaum, the local Jewish uh, Jews would assemble there, and he had the job of facilitating, of making sure they had everything they need, of setting the schedule. And so he's kind of a guy that organizes the worship that goes there uh, at the synagogue. Um, in verse 18, we find that his daughter has died. Uh, the, the other gospel accounts say that he, she was at the point of death or she was dying, uh, and this one it says that she has died. Now, the other gospel accounts tell us that she was 12 years old. So I want you to think about this. Um, it's, it's not a, a newborn baby. That would be terrible. Uh, but it's his daughter of 12 years. And he knows her and he loves her and he's watched her grow up. And here she is about to become a young lady. And so they've got all these 
hopes and ideas about that, and his 12-year-old daughter uh, has passed away. Verse says this, Jairus bowed down before Jesus. He comes, he finds Jesus, he bows down. That by itself was a great act of worship. Uh, you would not bow down before just anybody. He declares if Jesus would lay his hands on her, she would live. I think that's an important thing to, to see there. He is already sure of the result. Uh, she, if he'll touch her, she will live. That's what Jairus says. She will live. Right, I want you to think about a couple things right there. What could have produced that kind of bold faith in Jairus? He's at the synagogue. He hears a lot of scripture. Is that enough? Maybe it was. Um, he hears what Jesus has said. Maybe he went up and heard a sermon by him. Maybe that was enough. In my idea, and I, I'm just guessing, he probably ran into somebody who had been healed or, or was a witness to someone being healed. Or maybe he was a witness himself. But, but to produce that kind of faith, if he will touch him, her, she will be alive again. Uh, he is convinced this is the Christ, that what Jesus says is true. Now think about that. How is he so sure? Well, the answer to that is this. If Jesus actually is the Christ, the Son of God, God himself, the Savior from God, well, then there's nothing you wouldn't expect that he would do. And so if he actually, if Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, and Jairus says he is the Messiah, well, then Jairus would say, well, it's just natural. This is what he can do. He believed. And so what do we find of this guy? He believed. Verse 19. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. Jesus doesn't talk about it, doesn't have a discussion. He gets up and he goes to help Jairus uh, in his crisis. The disciples get up and they follow after. I don't know what they're thinking. They get up and they go with him. Verses 20 and 21. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. She was saying to herself, if I only touch the hem of his touch his garment, I will get well. As he's traveling, all right, Jairus comes. He's going with him to his house. As he's traveling, this lady comes up, and there's another person seeking God's remedy. Um, this time, notice this, the concern's not for a family member, but the concern is for uh, the woman herself. Notice this. It's pretty, it's pretty evident here, and it's pretty evident in our day. People with problems uh, in a sin-fallen world are all around. And so this guy's got a daughter that's sick and died. This woman's got a problem and needs a, 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 a remedy. Problems are all around. You know, that's the same today. Today, we're pretty good at acting like, well, I got my problems all kind of sewn up. People have problems. People have problems with their kids with their relationships, with their health, with their finances. Problems are all around. It was the same way then. As he goes, people pop out of the woodwork with problems. It says this woman, her, she had a hemorrhage 
that had persisted for 12 years. Most likely a menstrual cycle that either did not end or came and went, came and went, came and went. Um, that's bad. But because of her illness and that it dealt with blood, um, probably greater than the physical ailment was the fact that she was declared unclean by the Jewish law. Now, remember the Jewish law, you go back to the Old Testament, if you touched blood, uh, you were considered unclean for this many days. If you touched a dead person, if you came into contact with a sick, sick person, well, as an issue of blood, uh, every time this happened, she would be considered unclean for a length of time. Now, during that time, she can't touch other people. She can't go into crowds. She couldn't go shopping. She couldn't go to the synagogue and worship. She's basically isolated, cut off because of this sickness. Uh, now, most painful, the most painful part of that, on top of the physical part, is the shame that would have accompanied it. Um, now, let me explain this. Many in that time, and I'll just say probably in our time, when a person had a problem would say, well, she's sinned some way. And man, there must be some great sin, and it's probably a sexual sin the way it's showing up. And so they would say, well, she's not worthy coming in here. She's always unclean. She can't come here. And so rumors uh, would have been attached to her. Speculation would have been attached to her. And so she's isolated. She's cut off. She's slandered. She's gossiped about. And, 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 and that's the condition of her life. Twelve years, that's how she's had to live. Like Jairus, this woman, however, also shows great faith. She believes, she says, if she could just touch the, the edge of Jesus' cloak, uh, some believe that would have been the tassels of his prayer garment, uh, she believes that she also will be healed. Uh, she was also sure of the outcome. She says this, I will get well. And so she believes if I can get there, if I can touch him, I will get well. I want you to notice this. This just struck me just this time. I've preached through this before, but it, it struck me this time. Notice she doesn't speak to Jesus or even come up from the front. And I thought about that for a second. She doesn't, J Jairus runs up to the front. My daughter's dying. My daughter's dead. I got to have your help. He makes the plea to Jesus from the front. This lady comes from behind and doesn't even really, doesn't even speak to Jesus. Isn't that how we approach Jesus in our sin, in our shame? And, and I, I, I know people that think, you know what, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't even talk. I shouldn't even have a, a place. And we think, you know what, I'll just come up from the back. Maybe nobody will see me. I'll just slip up and I'll, and I'll bring it to Christ, but I'm not coming to the front. I don't want anybody to see. I don't want Christ to have to see me or talk to me. And so I think out of great shame, Maybe not for nothing she's done, but just for how people have treated her, uh, she doesn't come up from the front and she doesn't speak to Jesus. Um, she is probably totally ashamed and, and, and just um, saddened by that whole thing. All right, so verse 22. But, that's a pretty interesting word, but uh, she comes up from behind. She doesn't even talk to Jesus, but... Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter. Do you know, nobody wanted to call her a daughter. Daughter, take 
courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. Jesus turns, the first thing he says to her is take courage. Uh, in, in Greek, in the original language, that means be uplifted, be added strength to, is what it literally translates, be encouraged. And so here she is, uh, life has been tough, life is tough, um, people talk about her, and Jesus turns around and says, lift up your head, be encouraged, be strengthened, take heart. I can't even imagine a better thing to ever hear. Can you imagine that? He turns around and he says, Lift up your head. Uh, it's all right. Uh, take heart. Be encouraged. Jesus tells her and those in his hearing a great gospel truth. Uh, it is faith that saves her. Notice that in that verse. Her actions, she goes there, she touches his garment. Those are the actions, but the actions are not what saved her. What saved her, Jesus says, is her faith. Now, her actions are demonstrations of her faith, but Jesus says it is her faith that has made her well. Now, the word for well here literally translates saves. Uh, it is a Greek word for saves. It's used three times in rapid succession here, all three times. Uh, we would say get well. It actually meant is saved, uh, saves. At once, he says, lift up your head. Your faith has saved you, has made you well. Uh, at once the woman is healed. There is nothing left to do, no further remedy to seek. Her faith has made her well. Now I want you to think about the gospel. When you come to Christ and you turn to Christ in faith, there's nothing to add to that. You don't have to come to church for six months to make that effective. You're not baptized to make that effective. There's, there's nothing you have to memorize and repeat. There's no creed, you got to check off 21 things and someone interview you and make sure you pass through it. When you put your faith in Jesus, it's done. That's what we see about the gospel in this. Your faith has saved you and it was settled in that moment. There's nothing left to do. By her faith, she was made well. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you trust Christ, it is settled in Christ. Nothing for you to do, nothing you can add, nothing somebody has to do on top of that it is settled by faith in Jesus Christ. All right, verses 23 and 24. When Jesus came into the official's house, all right, he goes back to it. He got sidelined with her. She came up. That's dealt with. He goes back to it. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, verse 24, he said, leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. All right, back to the original deal. Jesus goes to the official's house. Uh, when he gets there, that house is found in a noisy uproar. Now, what, what does that mean? It means this, the 12-year-old girl has died. In, in, in this job, in my job, there's a lot of times folks will call and say someone's passed away. And, and when you go, a lot of times you find people crying on the porch, people upset, you find a noisy uproar. He gets there, she has died, and there's a noisy uproar. Um, the flutes, uh, they were playing the customary dirge, the funeral song uh, that expressed sorrow. That was a Jewish tradition. And so evidently the guy was well-respected or well-thought-of. 
Um, and so his daughter has died, and the Jewish flute players start playing funeral songs. Uh, his friends, his family are there, and they're upset, and they're carrying on, they're crying, and there is an uproar at the house. Jesus asked the crowd to leave. Um, I think it's interesting when you go back to the original language. Um, I don't know, when I, when I read that quickly, I kind of picture Jesus saying, would you all mind stepping outside for just a moment? Uh, the Greek language is actually he throws them out. And so he rolls up on the house and he throws them out of the house. And they're, they're crying and carrying on. And he, the, the literal translation is he expelled them from the house. Uh, that's kind of a picture of Jesus we don't see much. But he shows up and he just throws them out of the house, expels them out of the house. Jesus says she's asleep. Uh, in, in the story of Lazarus, we see how that is a, a word um, that he's saying she's asleep, but, it's, but she's actually dead. It's the same count with Lazarus. They laugh. They mock. Now, why do they, say, why do they laugh and mock? Because they know she's dead. That's why they're, the flute players are there and they're carrying on. She's dead. Um, he says she's just asleep. They laugh, and then they go outside, verse 25. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Jairus said that's what would happen. Jairus said, if you'll just touch her, she'll live again. And Jairus was right. When Jesus took the girl by the hand, she got up. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, this is the greatest miracle so far. And so the greatest miracle ever so far in his ministry happens. And, 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 and she gets up, she's restored to life. Go slow right here for just a second. Think about the responses of everybody that's there. And so I kind of, I just go slow. I, I was sitting there, I was thinking about, picture the people that were there. So she is stone cold. Uh, Jerry Clower used to say, graveyard dead. She's graveyard dead. And now she gets up. What does Jarius do? 12-year-old daughter is alive again. What does Jarius do? Does he fall on the ground? Does he cry? Does he run around in circles and cheer? What does Jarius do? What do the other family members do? What's the wife do? Or the brothers and sisters? What do they do? What about the, the, the cousins that were thrown out of the house? They, she's alive in there. No, she was dead. What do they do? Do they, do they, do they sit down? Do they talk? Are they in awe? Um, here's a weird one. What do the disciples do? You know, they're pretty new at this. And, and do they go, he really is the Messiah. He really is. Or do they say, I told you he would do it. I knew he was going to do that. What do, what do they do? The word goes out to the town. What does the town do? And does the town, does the town come over? Does, the next week when she goes to the store, does the town walk up and touch her? How long does that go on? Is the town blown away for three months, a year? A year later, like, did you ever hear her story? How, how long does the town respond that way? And then I thought about this. What about the girl? What about the girl? Do they say, you were dead, <laughs> you were dead? Um, what do they tell her? What, is, what does she say? Can you imagine that response? Can you imagine those responses? What an awesome thing. Verse 26. This news spread throughout all the land. Of course it does. This news spread throughout all the land. Did you hear about that? Um, it's, it's weird. Two things spread very quickly, bad news and good news. You ever notice that? 
I don't know, bad news may go faster around here, but sometimes uh, good news travels very quickly. Here's the truth about good news. It can't be contained. You let somebody get the diagnosis, hey, we're all clear with cancer. You let somebody say, hey, we won the the prize and it's $50,000. You let somebody say, hey, I got the promotion and I start the first. Good news cannot be contained. By nature, that's that's, that's how it works. Guess what? Good news should not be contained. And so rolling out of this, the word goes out. Now, what do we learn about this? Number one, Jesus is the Messiah. That's the main thing. Second thing, he wants people to believe. He wants them to believe quickly. He wants the word to spread. He wants the news to get out. He wants to blow a town up and let the town talk about it. And then the the third thing is this, and shouldn't that be us today? Shouldn't that be us today? I think... I don't know, some, somewhere we've become a very negative set of folks. And, and, and maybe it was with COVID, maybe it was before that, maybe it's with the economy, I don't know. But we, we say, well, I don't know if we're going to make it out of this. I don't know if we're ever, I don't know, what if, what if this election? What if this? What if the economy? What if, what if gas? And you know what? We ought to be a people by nature that say, I know the Messiah who can do all things and who has given me salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and I have nothing to be fearful of, and I have nothing to be sorrowful over, and I'm going to walk, and I'm going to keep my head up and praise the Lord, and then be agents of good news. Tomorrow, we're going to pass by people who are struggling, who it's going to be tough, and we can say, you know what, there's good news in Christ. Let me tell you the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to end right there tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stay, and I'll lead us in word of prayer. Glad you were here tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for good news. And I'm thankful that we have good news. I pray that we'd be concerned about telling others good news. Give us opportunities. Give us boldness. And then, Lord, I pray as we go home tonight, and that we sleep in peace, and we wake up in joy, and we, we walk in tomorrow, and we're, we're glad until you've come back to get us, that we have the opportunity to be heralds of good news. Lord, I'm thankful for Jesus, the Messiah, my Savior, thankful for the forgiveness of sin, thankful for for your goodness and your kindness shown to us. I pray, Lord, for folks in our church who are hurting right now, some dealing with sickness, uh, bad prognosis, all that stuff, we hold them up to you. We pray for for your hand to move and to work and that they would point still to you. I, I pray for our church as we head into this month of Christmas, that we would have an eye for Emmanuel, Christ with us, good news, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I pray for the sermon series in Revelation as we get ready to start it back in a, in a few weeks. I pray that you would speak in tremendous fashion. And I pray, Lord, that we would be in awe of you and your victory. And I pray there would be people who get saved, turn to Christ, and that it would be all for your glory. Lord, we tell, tell you tonight we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Glad you're here tonight.